everybody. My guest on the show today is Bobby DeMars. Bobby is a CEO and founder of Blind Barrels. Um, is one of the things he does, as we were catching up, as I always do with my guests that I don't know, we show up on a, we show up on a uh, call and go, hey, like, nice to meet you. Let's go talk and record this for everybody. So I found out that Bobby does a lot more than that. And today we're going to talk about a lot about that. So Bobby, welcome. Good to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, man. So you're coming in from California. I'm here in New York. So we got some time zone differences. We are recording this Tuesday, July 5th. And Bobby, I don't know about you, but I had a very relaxing holiday weekend, which included a dead and company show as we were talking about. I had some family over. We had a party. And I woke up this morning. I didn't really want to work that much, but I was looking forward to doing the podcast because this is not work for me. How about so how about you? How was the fourth for you? Oh man, mine was crazy. I had 80 family members in town for a family reunion. We hadn't had one in 27 years. So it was like, wow. we did four events in two days. So there was like a, a breakfast. And then I hosted um, the big kind of night party where we had like a whiskey tasting. And, um, you know, there's a couple people that we lost in the family last year. So mm-hmm. I, I edited some memorial videos for them. And we just have a lot of creative electric big personality so when everybody gets together it's just like oh the party's at six and all of a sudden it's three in the morning and <laughs> i don't know <laughs> my kid's sleeping i don't know what's happening but uh you know then the next day we had two more events and then we just carried it into fourth of july and had a big pool day barbecue to the fireworks so it was three days of just you know my wife wants to sleep for the next week but she can't so <laughs> there you- <laughs> it was awesome That's awesome bobby well, you must be a popular person as a running a whiskey company, as we're going to talk a lot about today. Popular for those in the family who like to drink whiskey, because you probably got a lot of yeah, stuff. You know, yeah, we have, we have a few that don't drink. I'm curious though at the Dead Show. So I, I haven't been to a Dead Show, but I've been to a lot of fish shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many spinners were there? Because every yeah, now and again, yeah. you know, in the general admission, there's always a couple people on acid that are what I call the spinners, and yep. they do the spin dancing. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I was actually over by the spinners. I, I'm not a spinner. <laughs> Anybody's <laughs> listening and knows about Grateful Dead or Dead and Co. There, and they do it for four hours straight. It's really unbelievable. They never stop spinning. I went over because there was a restroom near them. I want to say there was about 25 that were spinning. But I, as the night goes on, that crowd grows as well. You <laughs> probably imagine why. But yeah, there was about 25 spinners. I went to. Um, I went to the same show last year and there's over a hundred spinners. It looked like over a hundred spinners. If you look at, if you look at some of these dead and company shows now at like stadiums, like I was at a 15 person amphitheater, but if you look when they play like a SoFi stadium, I don't know if they played at SoFi stadium yet or not, but there's like uh, sometimes like 500 people just spinning for four hours. It's really amazing. I don't know what, it what, you know, if that's a particular drug, I don't know if you've ever smoked like salvia, but salvia is one of these drugs. It's kind of a psychedelic and everything turns clockwise mm. and it's a very short, lived. it doesn't last very long, but you almost want to, people get hurt because they try to do cartwheels where oh, everything vision, and, it, and it's one of those drugs that they just haven't figured out if it's illegal or not. So <laughs> you don't what the concentration is, but I've always wondered, I'm like, what are they doing? where they want to spin the whole time. Cause I've never done whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah. I don't know. I've never, I've never, they don't really seem like they want to be talked to either. They look very, they're very intense, intensely spinning and yeah, groove to the music, to which is cool. I mean, you know what? It's a vibe for sure. So this seems like a w- great way to kick out the podcast, Bobby, and ask you the first question is what is something that you nerd out about? Oh man, I'm a massive movie nerd. So I, you know, oh boy, we're going to talk for the next watching, hour about this. 
I mean, I could, you know, and, and the thing is, I, I didn't realize I was studying films when I was watching all of them so much because when I went to college, uh, so I went to USC on a football scholarship and I was in the business scholars program there and I had a girlfriend that was in the film school. And the only way, so I would literally get up at five, I'd have to work out, go to business classes, football practice all the way until like seven. And then the only way I could see my girlfriend was go to her film classes. So I took like 10 film classes, but I wasn't in the class. And I'm like, wait, you guys get to watch movies and then talk about them? This is like, this is a thing. Sounds amazing. So then I got into film school there and I eventually became a filmmaker. But, you know, I didn't realize the the aspects of just the aesthetics and the storytelling and the beats and just nuances. And, and uh, I mean, I can talk about especially like 80s movies, but you can almost usually name a movie uh, like pre 2010, and I can get you the year of the movie within like one or two years. Oh you know? man, Bobby! Like we could do a whole. We might have to have you come back on and just talk movies. I'm the same oh. way. I'm a huge movie fan, and I also have this weird memory that if you named a movie, whether or not I've seen it, as a decent likelihood I can name the year. There's a decent likelihood I can name at least somebody in it, and there's a okay likelihood i could actually name the director even if i haven't seen it it's really weird and i always say i wish i could turn that superpower into something that was profitable it's like i could use in my business because that skill is really useless we, we did this this week this week with my sister we were watching uh you know showing the kids the movie hook mm-hmm. and we're like oh the little boy that plays you know Peter Pan's kid, he's in he's in two other movies. Can you name those movies? And it's like, yeah, he was also the kid in What About Bob? And he was also the nerdy kid in Can't Hardly Wait mm. um, at the end. Like he had this interesting kind of – and he supposedly went on to become some doctor biochemist or something kind of like yeah. Malcolm whatever, Blossom. I can't even say her name. But you know, he had this whole history. But, yeah, we do the, oh, what movie is she from? And so I was watching a movie with my sister, and she's like – that's the girl that was in the parents don't don't just understand video with Will Smith. And I'm like, no, that's not wow. no way you just pulled that out of nowhere. And sure enough, she was right. So that's amazing. Yeah, my sister has that ability too. Any, just, any, so anytime I have somebody on that's a movie TV music person, as they use that as their nerd out, which is my answer too. I've actually given this answers film under, cause somebody asked me my question cause they thought they'd be clever. What's uh, you have any, great movie recommendations that you've seen in the last couple of years that maybe not everybody has seen or something that you really struck you that's been memorable? I mean, the only movie in the last few years that's just completely blown my mind was Pig. I don't know if you saw I lo- it. It's Nick I Cage. Did. I did. And, I mean, this theme of, of, of grieving. Um, I mean, it's just people say it's like John Wick, but mental. And it, there's a little bit of that. It's this Portland underground. And I don't want to give too many yeah. details, but it's it's probably my favorite Nick Cage movie. You know, yeah. Nick Cage is usually like if you've seen Deadfall, or have you seen just where he's the cagiest of cages? Like yeah. in any like movie where he's just, I don't know, man. And he's crazy or he'll do a weird voice. The movie that's out now that's like a play on Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah. Yeah the, yeah. the unbearable weight of whatever yeah, it, yeah like yeah. it's a play up on him i thought that was okay but to me when i compare it to pig i'm pig just amazing. like oh dude it's very sad and, i mean i think nocturnal animals and the arrival um was mm. two movies that just blew me away they were in the same year mm-hmm. and uh just i i go back to those again and again and it's i don't i would say lately i mean it's hard for me to find a movie that just kind of blows my mind but um, what was the the guy that created the TV show? There was three TV shows that came around at the same time. Devs, um, the OA, 
Mm. Um, and Mr. Robot. That oh, yes. I thought was phenomenal. Ex yeah, Mr. Machina, Robot is super cool. I forget his did name. Ex Machina did devs. But, yeah, Mr. Robot was like, yeah, dude, that was so – and it's Christian Slater in it. Right? Yeah. Remy Malik, Oscar winner Remy Malik. Remy Malik. And, character. Yeah. But just quality storytelling all the way through and um, good just killer music choices. And I'm kind of like a score snob too. Like I will listen to scores like – like just <laughs> the car. Yeah. Know? I listen to weird movie scores or something like that. And I love like, that. What are we listening to? And I'm like, I'm, don't worry about it. I'm going to prove, and I did not Google this. This is how my mind works. I heard Nocturnal Animals and I heard Arrival, the like Arrival, like Amy Adams, Arrival, the alien yeah. movie. Uh huh. John Ford and Denis Villeneuve, Tom however Ford. you pronounce it, right? I think the, it's Tom Ford, right? Or t- yeah, sorry, Tom Ford, the, the yeah. fashion designer. Yeah. Yeah. And then Den- is it Denis Villeneuve who who's did Dune? Uh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the yeah. Dune director and and the new Blade Runner movie. And yeah. I mean he's kind of he's the like, new everything. And yeah, great. that movie just messed me up. The idea that like, oh, if we were to talk with aliens, it's like, well, we can't talk to our dogs and they're pretty intelligent. They can understand us more, we can understand them. That's true. You know, or dolphins, right? Like yeah. how do we talk to a dolphin or in these cases, septipods, right? <laughs> And yeah. just the and once again, I don't want to remo- ruin the movie for you, but oh man, just what a really good uh, film, a full circle, everything, and um and yeah, the Tom Ford one. The only thing is the the movie opens with like these really enormous like heavyweight <laughs> like overweight women like dancing nude in slow motion, and and it's like I, I still don't know like how it taught. It's it's an art exhibit, and Amy Amy Adams, right? Or Amy Amy Adams, Amy yeah. Adams. Um, she's, um, just one of my favorite actresses just in general, but she's in both movies. Um, she is, but she's, I think some art exhibit designer and that was the art exhibit. Mm. And I don't know if it was like a metaphor for the emptiness of like whatever (laughs) she's chosen in life or something. I don't know. Like, but I'm like the whole opening is some kind of uncomfortable. I don't remember that at all. Slow-mo of just really heavy women dancing in slow motion. Interesting. It's the first time we've talked about this on this show. <laughs> 130 some episode. I know. We're going to talk about 500 pound women dancing oh, naked. Oh man. Hi <laughs> Bobby. First. This is another good lead in to the next question I have for you. Is uh, what's something that's inside of your comfort zone that is you know is outside of somebody else's? Oh man. Um, I'd say going fast in cars. <laughs> going fast in cars. You're like Dak Shepard. You know, like I've, I've gotten 130 miles an hour in a boat before. And um, I think it's something that, yeah, most people, like once you start hitting 80, it gets really crazy. Um, yeah. And I don't know what it is. I, I, I have my first car is a 72 El Camino and it's cool. a beast and it's fast. And yeah, I just punch it all the time. Or, you know, my buddy had the, you know, the Porsche that has the button that makes it go from like zero to 60 3.2. You almost like lose your vision. Like your vision goes G-force. wide a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm crazy. driving, I'm not worried. If someone else is driving and if you get that, you know, when you're the passenger and you're like, this dude's like right on someone's tail, I'll get a little nervous when someone else is driving yeah. sometimes. That's like um, what happened to Paul Walker, right? He hopped in the car with his buddy and oh, passed I mean, away. Yeah. No, well, and that guy was a professional driver. So yeah. why wouldn't you trust that guy? If anything, you're like, let's yeah, push it to the limit. He was probably, I mean, who knows what was going on there? And I'd say yeah. taking risks. You know, I'm the son of an inventor. My dad has 
over 200 patents. It took them, you know, 30 years to become an overnight success. And being around a risk taker, um, a lot of people like the idea of starting a company. They don't realize um, just how much work and energy it takes to, to, you know, put into it and that it is nonstop and that, you know, when, when you fail at something and everyone knows about it, um, that is always a difficult thing. And when you, when you're successful, you know, especially with movies, when I make movies, I always have, I have like a, you know, brother-in-law or somebody that will be like, so three years after I make a movie, so you giving it up. And it's like, dude, I had to develop 50 things just to make that one thing. Like I'll show you the pilots and the things that never, you know, why don't I send you the script that, has this big director attached that can't get made for some reason. And it's like, what does that really do? So I just don't have those conversations, but I don't think people understand fully until they take a risk. Um, and it's not that you have to be creative. I call it the 4% rule. So imagine 20% of the people out there are really creative, right? Yeah. And then separately, 20% of people out there are risk takers. Now they're not mm. the same people most of the time. 20% of the people that are creative are, are risk takers. 20% of the risk takers are creative. And it's usually about in that 4%, that 20% of 20% is that 4%. But usually it's about taking the risk. It's not about most of the people out there at the end of the day, you just got to get lucky too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, like the time makes a l- you get the best idea and yeah. not have it hit for whatever reason. Yeah. Somebody doesn't open the email. You don't happen to meet that person at a bar. Network, yeah, abs- I mean, absolutely. So we now, Bobby, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was saying we made a movie called Talk to Me. It was kind of the first black art house film. And this guy, Sidney, you know, we were talking about Tom Ford. This guy owns, this billionaire owns all these fashion labels like Kate Spade and Jones of New York. This guy named Sidney Kimmel. And the movie's a true story about an ex convict that talks his way out of prison and onto the radio amidst the civil rights movement. Um, it's called Talk to Me with Don Cheeto and had Martin Sheena and Chutaju for. And I'm like, why did this guy, why did this old white guy, you know, who's a fashion mogul, put all this money into this film, $17 million, right, to finance the movie? And a month before the movie came out, he bought Johnny Carson's house for like $50 million. Mm. And Johnny Carson is a thread throughout the film that should it's utilized as a passing time element. And ultimately they arrive at the tonight show in the third act, but he literally made that movie because he loved Johnny Carson. That's the only reason that movie got made. Yeah. <laughs> the most it's like you and I like, reason. I'm like, you know what? I'd like to do a GoFundMe. Here's $20, Bobby. He's like 17 million. <laughs> That's nothing. I'll go spend <laughs> that on my wine collection. I've done the Kickstarter. I did raise money for a documentary on a Kickstarter, and that's not fun either. You just hit the refresh button all day, and your stomach lining slowly erodes away while you're just like, why didn't my best friend contribute? Yeah. (laughs) It's like you get let down a lot, unfortunately. So, Bobby, other side of that question, what's something that is outside of your comfort zone that you know is inside of somebody else's? So risk-taking, creative projects, you know, all those things, what's something on the other side of that that you are like, Nope, either you're not doing it or you don't like doing it. And you know, other people they are like, that's in their sweet spot. I mean, I I think there's, there's only two, I think right now that are coming to mind. One would be uh, swinging, uh, like with couples. I just can't share my wife and, and I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Share someone else's wife while that guy's watching me, the whole cuckold thing. I'm just, I don't know. I don't think I can do it. Yeah. Uh, Especially when you have children, like it's a tough thing to, 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 if your children ever find out. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, exactly. There's a, actually, we had a reality show that we pitched that was called Hollywood Swinging, and it was a matchmaker. It was, think like Millionaire Matchmaker, but for swingers. And we never sold it. We got like to a pilot stage or whatever. Yeah. But I was always like sitting there talking with these people that were super normal. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I can't do that. I'm not like, there's so many ways that I'm not into that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you ever, like, you ever seen, uh, are you a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan? Oh, yeah. You ever remember I, I think this? I missed like like season six through seven or, or like four through seven or something. I got to go back and where- watch the season where Larry and Cheryl are celebrating their 10 year anniversary and Cheryl gives him a gift of, he can go and, you know, sleep with one woman one time. That's the gift she gives him. And of <laughs> course, because it's curb, it's the, it's the season with the producers where he's in the producers on Broadway. Okay. But there's then a I scene that's so that. good where he's talking about, I think it's from this season where he's talking about cheating or having multiple women, you know, like multiple affairs. And he's like, I'm just not cool enough for that. He's like, I'm not the guy. Like, I'm not cool enough. I wouldn't know what to do. Like, it would be too hard. Like, I'd be the same way. I'd be like, which one are you? And like, what, what are your needs? What? Yeah, no, no, thank you. Too much. Yeah, I'd be like, you know, I, I can disappoint one woman, but not two. (laughs) You know, I don't want to, (laughs) like, not that I'm always disappointed, but I'm like, you know, I I think there's that fear. So there's a phobia to that slightly. Yeah. Thalassophobia. I I don't know if you've heard thalassophobia. But yeah. it's the fear of like deep ocean and and deep water just in general. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you've ever like just put goggles on under the water when you're in the ocean. Sure. But there's things swimming all around you. Oh, yeah. I've scuba dived. Yeah. Realize. And so like I always imagine you're in a, like a, a building that's basically like three miles high if you're looking at like the Marianas Trench or something like that. Yeah. And uh and there's all this stuff and you're just hanging your lower body into the top of this dark building and all these things are flying around. And I mean, we know more about like space than we do about the deep ocean. That's true. You know, we don't even know like, 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 like the movie, um, what's the, the movie where the, the abyss, right? The abyss with James, Cam- James, Cam- James Cameron down there. I mean, yeah. aren't octopuses just like aliens that lost their technology or something? Think- <laughs> you know, like they got to this planet and like, you know, they're super advanced. They got all this biotech and they can like move and they're just super intelligent, like at an insane level. But over time, they're like our technology. We don't have enough resources to build the same tech that got us here. And then they lose their technology and now they're, you know, primitive species. to and us. Now they but- I believe they're in, there's that one octopus who I believe won an Oscar or the filmmaker for whatever that Netflix movie was about the, his buddy, the octopus or whatever it's called. Oh yeah. My teacher, the octopus. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watch um, the, the boys on, on Amazon. I don't. I've seen, I've heard I gotta about tell, it. You don't have to be like a superhero fan. It's such a phenomenal, like I've heard, I've heard, <laughs> it's, you know, you got the, this one superhero who can talk to animals. He's like Aquaman. Right. But yeah. he like has all these sexual relationships with animals. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all this this quasi bestiality going on, and they and they put up a little disclaimer at the front of some of those episodes, like um, some of the sexual encounters you're going to see um, are by the storyline consensual, um, so that there's not like it's not like an animal <laughs> rape, like with which is I guess some part of people in bestiality that dog didn't consent to that or whatever it is, yeah, or that octopus didn't consent to that, and they're like, and it is just CGI, so it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's also like. That is funny. You know, I think they're getting ahead of cancel culture. Like this guy yep. can't be having sex with a dolphin. This is <laughs> this. How do we know that? I will say, yes? Bobby, that this episode. I've done a lot of episodes. This episode is going in a different direction than any episode's ever gone. <laughs> and I'm I'm either wanting to fall this on the rabbit hole until we can't come back, or 
ask you the next question. I think I'm going to choose to ask the next question, and we might also have more to talk about. So I give you five minutes to give a speech, and the whole world gets to hear it. What do you speak about, all of us, and what do you want us to do at the end of that speech? Or for you as a filmmaker, this is your five minutes short. The message in it, what do you want us to do? What do you want to speak about? What do you want us to do? You know, if I guess if I had a speech um, where everyone's actually listening to me, uh, I would make a speech about listening. Uh, I think that's one of the things that we don't do enough of when we interact with people. Um, You know, I have an entertainment company called Sonderful Entertainment, and it's derived from the word sonder, which is a combination. It's a word that's just been added to the dictionary, but it was kind of a slang urban dictionary term for a while. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of wonder and somber. And Mm. it's the realization that we're all living these intricate lives and that play these interesting, subtle roles in each other's lives. It's actually very parallel to kind of what your podcast is about Mm. and talking to interesting people. Mm -hmm. And it could be somebody that you bump into at the coffee shop. It could be a flickering light in the distance and almost like this infinite anthill that weaves into the underground that we're all living these intricate lives and if we take the time everybody has a story everybody's worth listening to yep you know we're in this very divisive period of um just politics and 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 just all the different things whether it's the the, we're, we're kind of in a class war and we're becoming a plutocracy and um and these are more objective um approaches to all of it and i can get along with almost everybody that has a different opinion than mine, mainly because I listen to them. And I yeah. think, you know, when, whenever you take the time to get to know somebody and what, like what you're doing and you're asking questions and, and I'm doing a little bit with you, I'm getting to know you. I think that's one of the greatest values because the, yeah. we can learn a lot in many different ways, but we can learn the most from each other. I think. I love that, Bobby. Yeah. And make that makes sense that you would be a, creative and an artist, a filmmaker, because that's a, another way that people can listen to a message. I'd be listening. Yeah. As we before we go to the commercial break, I just want to mention that that's a good point about the, we all have these intricate lives because I, I have, I agree. And it's easy to forget. Like we're going to talk here for an hour, hour and 20 minutes you're going to do what you're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. We'll remember each other, but you've got a family over there. You've got businesses you're running. You probably have films you're looking to make. I've got a whole bunch of stuff I'm doing, but I but it's like not that present for me. And the the thing I leave with here before we go to the commercial break is the remembering that we never know until we walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. I was my, I, I was told that by my grandparents growing up because you never know until you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And I think that would this, this country would be so much easier to live in and so much less stuff going on. If we just remembered that suppose I feel like we're so myopic myself included. Have you, did you ever see um, the short story, the egg? No. What's it about? Um, and if you look up the egg, there's a great video that the Kirk and Spluton, whatever that YouTube <laughs> channel that gives you informative things like mm-hmm. what would the aliens be like in a billion years? And uh, the concept is that somebody dies and when and they wake up and there's this being and you can call it God, you can call it whatever, and they inform that hey, you died and uh, don't worry, it was painless and uh, your family's going to be okay and everything's moving along. And it's like, oh, okay, well now what? Well now you're going to reborn, be reborn as a uh, Asian woman working in the rice paddies in 600 AD. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm going back in time. Oh wow! And it's like, 
No, well, time is all just a construct. It's like reverse and then after that, reincarnation. You'll be reborn again. And you'll be reborn again until you live every life that's ever lived on the planet. Wow. So you'll be Abraham Lincoln and you'll be Hitler. And when you wrong somebody, you're really doing it to yourself. And there's something that's Jeez. scary and enlightening about that because it's yeah. like, oh my God, I'm all alone here. Uh, but then when you oh. then evolve, it's kind of very Hinduism. Like you then will evolve into this other species, this other yeah. higher power that then goes to where those other people are that thought, but, and it's just this kind of out there concept, but it's fascinating when you think about, um, yeah, like, are we living these kind of interweaving lives with the same people over and over again? And what wrongs are we doing that are yeah. maybe perpetuating trauma in their lives? Um, and whether it's us in another life or not, which is kind of crazy, but it's interesting um, that, you know, are we hurting ourselves in the process of when we're hurting other people, either directly or indirectly? I don't know. Yeah. We're going to go to commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of the ways that you provide joy to the world. And I've alluded to it. You provide joy to the world in multiple ways. We're going to come right back after this. The Talking to Cool People podcast is brought to you by Jason Frizzell Coaching. Jason works with amazing people who are looking to find and develop their passion and purpose and create their journey to wherever it is they want to go. Check us out at jasonfrizzell.com, Facebook, or on Instagram. Jason loves hearing from anyone who thinks it would be cool to connect, to be coached, or to be a guest on our show. Email him at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com or DM him on Facebook and Instagram. And now, back to some more amazing conversation on talking to cool people. All right, Bobby. So what do we know about you so far you are the founder and CEO of Blind Barrels. We're going to talk about Blind Barrels. You are a filmmaker. I mentioned this a couple of times. You were a dad. You are not a swinger. I don't know that about you. Not a swinger. Not. not a swinger, at least not yet. Uh, there's always possibility for the future. Uh, what else would you like us to know about you? What would you like to share with all of us? Uh, you know, I, another thing of what I do, I mean, the reason I'm able to take a lot of risks right here, I mean, the, the Blind Barrels is a whiskey company, and, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the, the our whole company doesn't have salaries. Our whole company is built to scale. And the reason I'm able to do that is um, I've been an independent SAT, ACT test prep instructor for the last 20 years. Uh, my partner's a neuroscientist. We do mindfulness. We do neurofeedback. We help kids with their essays. You know, we talked before just about how everyone has a story worth telling. And the thing is, we're not all storytellers, but we all know a good story when we hear one. So how mm -hmm. do we amplify somebody's story within that process? And it's it's something that I did to, um, you know, I've always had the mindset, I don't want to just make a living. I want to make a killing. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that when I was doing test prep, it was this means of making a living while I was trying to make a killing in other things. And then I started making a killing within this respect because I was really successful with it. And not just because I had good methods, but because I connect to my students and I, I care about them and I motivate them. I'm, I mentor them. Um, you know, the moniker of a tutor um, sounds like I'm helping kids with their homework. But the reality is, is most of my students will remember me more than the majority of their teachers. And sure. I can't go anywhere with my wife out to dinner without running into a bunch of my students because I get That's to play cool. a pivotal role in the catalyst for the rest of their lives. Um, I just ran into a mom last week and she started crying because her daughter got into UCLA 10 years ago. Um, but it Amazing. ultimately set her on a path to where she is now, which is super successful. Um, and so it, it's been a privilege to 
be able to do that. And I've had a backdrop in working with foster kids. Mm -hmm. Um, We started off, you know, my company was mentoring and tutoring 200 foster kids throughout um, Southern California. Mm -hmm. And so um, to me, it's been maybe one of the most rewarding things. And then the best role I've had, uh, you know, whiskey filmmaking and, and teaching, the best role has been as a dad by far. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something, I mean, do you have kids? I do. I have two, I have a six year old and a almost two year old. So th- that's like, I got a six and a four year old. There you go. Just, yeah. You're almost that you're almost out of the, 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 the diaper slash, you know, uh, wiping butts phase. We, we right? call it the, the, the pure danger phase when everything is a danger and there's no ability to protect yourself yet. That's the, that's the phase <laughs> when we're the, with the little, yeah, little guy. Yeah. No, well, well, you, well, that's what the thing about parenting that blew my mind. So my wife and I couldn't have kids traditionally mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, I mean, if it was 30 years ago, we would just be the couple that couldn't have kids. Yeah. And at first, like, you know, my wife, like, she's like, well, let's check your sperm. So she, she you can buy a sperm thing on Amazon. And you know what they sure. do? They send you a microscope and you put your sperm oh, on a slide. You no. go and I'm, like, I'm like, baby, my, my, my no. swimmers are crushing it right now. That's yeah. not a problem with. Like, I'm like, this is, there's a lot of activity going on here. I'm surprised I haven't impregnated a lot of people at this point. Oh my God. And, uh, and it turned out she had endometriosis and her stomach mm. lining couldn't hold onto the egg. So we did sure. IVF and in, in vitro fertilization and we yeah. did it 12 times and it was really expensive. And I mean, I can tell you a million stories related to IVF. You could literally do a whole episode on just that. Yeah. Um, and so when we finally, uh, her, my wife's niece carried both of our children. And I remember it was January 1st. My my daughter was born at like 5 a.m. on January 1st. And, uh, you know, you get the call at like 3 in the morning. I had just had my eyes closed for an hour. And uh, luckily, oh, it was Denise said, call. hey, we're, I'm, I'm in labor. Or they call and say, yeah, I'm in labor. And it's an hour and a half away. We're driving to Antelope Valley. And I just remember on the way over, because I wasn't around a woman that was pregnant all the time. That was this physical reminder of this literally, you know, explicitly and implicitly growing fatherhood of like yeah. I'm about to be a father and it hit me all in the drive over where I'm like okay there's this little thing that's gonna be we gotta keep it breathing and we gotta keep it fed and we're gonna bring it home and it's gonna be very fragile and then I started looking ahead I'm like oh and then I'm gonna be worried that they're walking and that, that that they're talking and that they're making friends and that they're learning and that they're gonna get into the college that they want to get into and that they're marrying <laughs> the right people and that they're gonna be up with their family I'm like oh my god this is it's like this worry switch that went off, and I'm like, this never ends, you know? Because we become yeah. parents, you know, people are like, oh, it's a, it's a love you've never known, and until you have a child, you won't understand what real love is. And you know what? When my child was born, it was a lightning bolt that hit me, and it was what I thought it would be. It was this unbelievably pure love that I have for my kids. But what they don't tell you is that it's a worry that you've never sure. known. So now I'm constantly now because now we're in this other phase and you're in part of that too, where now you're worrying about them to be being good people, which is another level of responsibility, yep. right? Yep. Oh, and yeah. how to communicate, how to control your emotions around them. And you're going to have days where you feel like a bad parent, you feel guilty about it and, and that yeah. that's normal. Um, and it's just this whole just roller coaster that never ends. And, and it's a lot, but I'm grateful for it at the same time. Yeah. That's awesome, Bobby. All right, I'm excited, and not going to lie, I'm a little fearful of what you're going to ask me about based on some of the things we've talked about today. But I will answer, and I will answer whatever you ask, unless I tell you I won't. I've never not answered a question somebody's asked me on here. So, Bobby, what would you like to ask me about? Since we don't really, we're getting to know each other 
that I can answer for you and for everybody listening. I mean, I, I have two questions for you. One is, um, what made you want to create this podcast in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, there had to have been probably some catalyst and some aha moment and not just, yep. I have a good radio voice and a good conversationalist because you have both those things. Oh, but there was something you. either somebody told that to you or was there some kind of, was it an idea that you had for a while, but then it just sprouted and then you decided I'm going to jump in? Like, what was the impetus yeah. for this? Whole- oh, yeah. Thank you for the question. I'm I've never been told I have a good radio voice and now I'm feeling very conscious about my voice. So thank you. (laughs) So let me tell you the story of this podcast. When I was a kid, I I thought Johnny Carson and then Jay Leno were super cool because I think I was, I'm 44. So I was, I think it was about 12 when Johnny left and Jay came in. I just thought it looked like a whole ton of fun. I'm completely extroverted. I was always a super talkative kid, not surprising. And I just thought it'd be really fun. Like, entertain people and talk to interesting celebrities. And I was like a huge sports kid. So you have like, you know, like Michael Jordan. And I'm like, that's pretty cool that you get to sit and talk to Michael Jordan or Jerry Seinfeld or these people that I thought were so so awesome. And then as I got older and I did not go into the arts because I just never thought about comedy or acting or directing or anything like that or film, it just wasn't in my purview. I guess it could have been, but it just wasn't something I'd thought about as a kid. And so for 20 years, I worked in corporate sales. And then in October of 19, I was on my first podcast as a guest. And it was really fun. I don't want to listen to the episode again because it wasn't, a, I don't think I was very good as most people improve over time. But I remember getting done, I'm like, that was really fun. Oh, wait, I could do this. And you are, up, I'm trying to think here numbers wise, I do 50 episodes a year. And I've done 25 this year or 24. So yeah, so we're looking at about 125 episodes and I've asked every single guest these questions that you're getting asked today. And I say that because when I came up with this list of questions, I literally don't remember it. Like I don't, it's, it was a moment of like, what do I want this thing to be? And my two podcast heroes are Dax, people at Dax Shepard. I love Armchair Expert. And I love Mark Maron's podcast, WTF. Long form interview pretty unstructured talks to interesting people and you know i don't do you listen to armchair expert at all yeah i haven't listened to dak shepherd I, I listen to that i listen to smartless i listen to fly on the wall which is kind of a new one with david spade yeah i love just i love showbiz stories and yeah totally so one of the things that really inspired me about armchair expert was <clears throat> and he had carmelo anthony on the nba player and he said this again yeah, totally. and i remember he said it but they talked about a little bit about basketball, but a lot of not about basketball. And one of his things is, you know, he's a, and he always talks about, he's an anthropologist. Like I was a college degree, at least that it sometimes what people do is arguably the least important thing they do. And I just thought that was really fascinating. So I created this podcast. I came up with the questions. I put together a list of some people that I knew that I knew would say yes, because most podcasters do had some people on and then you didn't ask this question, but I'll answer how the podcast got named. My seventh guest, I had recorded, I think, 10 episodes without releasing anything. And I'd said to her, what do you think I should call this thing? Because I had some other people give me some more like business stuff. I mean, it's not really a business podcast. It's more a long form interview. She's like, oh, yeah, it's like what it is talking to cool people. I'm like, oh, that. Yep, that works. <laughs> and, <that's, laughs> and that was how the title was. Right. So it was like a really interesting thing. So that's 
why I did it. I started out, I said, this is really fun. I've iterated over time. I've still asked the same questions. I've added a couple things, upgraded my audio for those who are like, you know, my avid listeners will hear my audios better. I've, I've, but I've really expanded who I talk to as well. And I've really never said no to anybody unless they just want to come and pitch. Has everybody ended up being cool or, or have you thought about having like a sub thing called talking to some pretty cool people? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> like, like somebody's like, Hey, I'd like to pitch to be on your show. And I'll be like, I don't know that you can be on the main tonight show. You can be on like the cable tonight show. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Back the, in the late, day, I mean, late, now. late yeah. show. It's the, the late, Carson late, light show. No, everybody's yeah. been cool because I'm just a Tom lover Snyder. of people. Yeah, Rob, exactly. <laughs> David Spade, Rob Schneider. But I find, I find no most, the way my questions are structured, plus the kind of people that want to be on a show like this, I've actually enjoyed every single conversation. I learned something every time. People ask me why I do this. I do it because I get to meet. We would never meet otherwise. Like, how would we meet? I mean, maybe we would, but it wouldn't be as easy for us to get connected. But what I love about this is I'm always learning. Every single episode, I learned, I'm going to learn about, whiskey subscriptions i'm learning about film i'm learning about just all the things we're talking about today because so that's why i do it and i still do it and you know it's just a heck load of fun it's a lot of fun that's awesome yeah and, it's really and, and it's like a, it's yeah, really a strength-based project for me. Nice with my speech to the world that you're uh, exactly. listening to everyone you exactly know, you're learning from everybody and I, yeah. I do think that's one of the best things i i'm so constantly fun. learning um just like you said and i i love yeah. that that's a great reason to have a podcast and yeah. also you know hopefully the listeners are getting the same thing out of it right yeah right i, I mean i know how many people listen and it's a decent number of people so i gotta hope so <laughs> it'd be a wasted <laughs> time wasted their time <laughs> so yeah, you have question. a sec so you have a second question for me I, I have yeah the one that i actually thought of i just thought about that one just right as we were talking but this yeah. is the one i was thinking of uh, before we started was uh what do you think happens when we die Ooh, deep I love it. Mm. Well, I'll I'll answer this question by starting. So I was raised Lutheran in Minnesota. So I was raised, you know, raised in a very like typical Midwestern religious, like Christianity. I, you know, this is an interesting question, Bobby, because I think about this now more than I'm a dad. I don't know if that's how it's gone for you. But yeah, um, yeah and I just think about, not to get dark, but I think about these shootings that are happening, especially the school shooting from last month. And you go as a parent to think that there's not, that you'll never see your children again, that there's nothing else just breaks my heart. And I don't, but this is, this is where I really struggle with is this whole idea of the afterlife invented by us as humans to give us some sort of thing to think about or hope for. And boy, there's been a lot of, you know, there's whole college degrees around this right like theology and is this an invented thing i believe there i believe there's something after in the afterlife i'm not exactly sure what it is um yeah we 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 all find out but none of us really know for sure right well yeah 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 you know is it uh i think about i was raised lutheran as well oh you were yeah Yeah. so and, and and it's interesting my family a lot of them migrated from minnesota you should do you ever do a 23 and me yeah, I did do twenty three. We might be distant cousins. We might know. be Bobby. It's uh, possible. I am. I might be getting a family reunion. 
That'd be amazing. Like, Bobby, we went on the podcast, and now I'm drinking whiskey with you. We're going to have 280 people. That We're just going to keep getting it larger. That's um, funny. But I thought, you know, you raised the, I mean, Lutheran, I, I, what I liked about Christianity was the concept of a loving God. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big believer in reincarnation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and open to the idea that, you know, that maybe God is a collective of all of our energy and somehow the, 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 yeah. the laws of the universe operate that way. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like there are people that have been here before and the concept of heaven just always seemed, it, it never made sense to me in, in, first of all, my heaven isn't someone else's heaven. So is that a fabricated heaven right. that someone else then has to live in my heaven? So then that's kind of messed up. Like, you know, you know, having all these virgins, the way that some of the Muslims believe or, or yeah. the hardcore uh, Orthodox Muslims that, Oh, there's going to get 78 virgins. I'm like, have you ever been with a virgin? You don't want 70 <laughs> of them. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a little of that. But you know, I mean, I you're working I on your stand-up. I like that. That's good. Yeah, I would never do. I did stand up one time, and I got I got banned from the the, the comedy <laughs> show, um, from the comedy store for a reason. Um, I'll tell that story if you want to hear. It. That's another. But I that's do look at time. kind of the whole um, just reincarnation thing, or even if like we're in some type of a simulation. Imagine we are these beings that can live forever, and the concept yeah. of forever would actually be very monotonous and boring. And there's this great Twilight Zone episode. Where this guy's like robbing somebody, he runs across the street, he gets hit by a car, and he wakes up, and he's in this all white room, and everything's perfect. And there's a guy with a goatee that's like in a white suit. And he's like, "Whatever you want, Mister Valentine." So drinks, dames, money. But every time he shoots pool, they all go in. When he gambles, he always wins. And and he he finally he gets to the point. He goes, "Look, fats," and he calls the guy that you know the angel whatever he's like look i'm tired of this heaven stuff i'm just not cut out for this heaven stuff you know take me to the other place and he goes well, what do you mean mr valentine this is the other place right and it's like oh the concept of having everything you ever wanted is a form of, of hell in and of itself yeah because there's no motivation be- you don't have right. any humans we like we like to have the struggle like we like some struggle and, and achievement and if nothing we grow and being grow. reborn again you know, whether maybe I need to work through some stuff as a, uh, as a unicell amoeba, you know, and my, I don't know if it goes into <laughs> microorganisms or other dimensions or other yeah. whatever. I mean, all that's really interesting. I mean, you ever hear about DMT when people smoke DMT? Yeah. Um, like there's a, there's a documentary called the God molecule and it's a psychedelic. And when you, they synthesize, it's in every living thing it's in, you mm-hmm. know, you can literally create it. I've never done it. I think I'm too scared to do it. Um, but you know, like to just pack my bags for that 15 minute hardcore trip, but they synthesized it and they injected like 15 people with it. And they all were like under doctor care in different rooms. And what was fascinating is they all had the same trip where mm. the room and their world would vibrate until all of a sudden they broke through some geometric plane where they saw these different shapes and, and they felt like there were um, shapes that were kind of talking to them like in their head. And then all of a sudden they arrived and all the shapes stopped and they arrived in what many described as a control room with aliens. And that wow. it, it, that it as foreign as that sound for some reason seemed very familiar and very like home. And so, but so the fact that everybody's having this like, alien control room trip that maybe it's some kind of a cheat code uh to the in-between or the other side yeah. or, you know, or we're out of this simulation or i don't yeah, know la- like, the last thing i'll say on this and i should probably get an affiliate agreement with armchair expert at some point but they they did an episode they have a um armchair armchair and dangerous it's like a it's a spin not even a spinoff it's just part of the series and they did one on simulation theory 
mm. which is really fascinating. And every time that they, at the end of the show, they do the um, Dax and Monica, like talk about the show or they talk about what they're up to. They always do a little thing called ding, 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 where they'll like say like, oh my gosh. And like, we had this guest on and they responded to this thing. And it was actually the thing that I had heard from somebody today. It's like, ding, 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 like another proof point for the simulation. So who knows? I guess it, you know, it could be. There's well, a documentary called Glitch in the Matrix uh, yeah. made by the same filmmakers that did Room 237, yep. which is a documentary about uh, The Shining yeah. and all the weird, crazy theories about The Shining. And I'm a massive Stanley Kubrick fan, so I was yes. at the first screening ever of that at the midnight <clears throat> showing in Sundance when it happened. And then they did Glitch in the Matrix. And it's very weird in terms of the way they tell stories within the documentary because they, they went into some really dark places, but really fascinating places. And yeah. it definitely makes you think half the time. And then half the time I'm like, ah, oh, no, that sounds like bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobby. Great questions. Thanks for asking. I really, really appreciate both very thoughtful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So My Bobby, pleasure. what are you passionate about? You know, I'm, I'm passionate about trying new things and, and, and really I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I'm really passionate about fighting for the underdog. You know, a lot of people think passion means love. Um, but the actual root of passion, uh, the Latin root is P A T I, uh, and it means to suffer. And so mm. what that means is you're willing to suffer. You love something so much. You care about something so much that you're willing to suffer for it. I didn't know that. Um, and so when, uh, and that's where, uh, the, the, uh, Mel Gibson movie passion of the Christ is from that. Sure. Yeah. Jesus loved the world so much. He was willing to suffer that. Um, and not that I'm pushing that dogma, but that's kind of, if you were to tie the element of it, um, that that whole movie is just a horror movie of suffering. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think all the things that I've done, um, you know, I made a documentary called the business of amateurs, um, as a former college athlete and I got to start for Pete Carroll and, um, you know, have these amazing experiences, but I always felt that, um, you know, the, the college athlete didn't have enough rights. And so I made a documentary that focused on, uh, the rights of the college athlete. So, um, obviously the money, we talked about the money, sort of the disparity and the gap that exists within the system of where the money actually goes and payers are played. They're paid in the form of a scholarship. It's just, they're worth well more than that. So there's a form yeah. of a cartel where they can control the supply by limiting the cost of the actual product, the athletes. Um, you know, we see it in drugs. Cocaine doesn't cost that much, but because they yeah. have all the cocaine, they can tell you what it costs. That's right. Um, and then the, the academic integrity, a lot of these guys are forced into sociology or some major where they can get easy A's because it's about eligibility. It's not about actually, um, you know, graduating or giving them an education because you're really an athlete student. You're not a student athlete. And then right. the medical side of it, you know, you look at these guys that are giving up their long-term health um, through chronic traumatic encephalopathy and these repetitive blows to the head. It's not all concussions. It's sub-concussions. And I have long-term mental health issues from bashing my head into other people for a mm. number of years. Um, and I wanted to dispel that. And it wasn't easy to talk. I have a thing called panic disorder, which means, uh, um, sounds like I panic when I, you know, something I'm not, I'm not panicking and I can do live television or talk to a bunch of people and, you know, I might get as nervous as anyone else, but it's a malfunction in the brain. That's a part of the latent part of our brain where we used to be food for other animals. And, mm. you know, they call it fight, flight, or freeze. Really, it's really fight yeah. or fight, but a lot of people freeze and basically your brain malfunctions and it's like a bad trip. If anyone's ever had a bad trip, either uh, took too many edibles or, uh, you know, did some mushrooms or something and your brain malfunctions and it's very uncomfortable when it happens and you ride it out. And I, that's why I've been a big proponent of mindfulness. It's how I kind of combated that. 
But I had to be honest with that because I know there's a lot of athletes out there that suffer from this yeah. um, depression or anxiety. So when the brain cells get hit, they don't die. What happens is they get shook and then they eventually die in about 13 to 15 years and they harden to what's called this tau protein. And that's the evidence after you die when they cut open your brain and find that you have chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Yeah. And so these guys that are struggling with depression and anxiety, most of them self-medicate yeah. and they overdose. So it's difficult yeah. for these guys to come to terms with something um, that is associated with their identity when they've done all these brave, strong, and insane things when it comes to just taking on all the things that you do as a high-level athlete. Um, and the film went on to, you know, so we really fought for the underdog. We utilized it to pass a bill in California that allowed money uh, athletes to make money from their name, image, and likeness. And that competitive element spurred 12 other states to do the same thing. Yeah. And then we got in front of the Supreme Court. I'm on the Oversight Committee for College Athletes' Rights. Uh, and got in front of the Supreme Court last summer. And now college athletes can make money from their name, yeah. image, and likeness. Yeah. And it's kind of uh, – close the disparity and the gap by allowing these mostly uh, poor people of color to make money. And, yeah. um, you know, people that go, well, I, you know, I have student debt and they have a free education. It's like, well, okay. They're just worth more than you are. Like if you're a music right. artist and you have a That's music right. scholarship and you couldn't release an album, right. Or children, child stars, dogs get paid to be put in commercials. Right. Um, I mean, their owner gets the money, but uh, you know, all these elements, it's very capitalist. It's a part of the Venn diagram where, you know, yeah. the left and the right coexist, you know, that yeah. you should be able to, you know, make your worth. And that is a capitalist, you know, um, idea. Yeah. Um, so, so it's supply and demand at the end of the day. Totally. So I'm very proud of that That's as great. that film. And now I'm doing it with distilleries through Blind Barrels. So Blind Barrels is basically it's a quarterly subscription. And every quarter somebody gets four samples of stuff that they would never be able to get any other way. So if you look at the liquor laws um, that exist since prohibition, some say prohibition never really ended. Uh, so there's a three-tier the system. Yeah. Well, every state's totally different. Um, and even cities and counties. I mean, it, it's, it's a big mess. And, but the main federal law is it has to go from a producer to a distributor, to a retailer, which is what we are. It has to pass through those things. Mm. And so what happens is there's 3000, whiskey distillers throughout the country and there's maybe 200 at your total wine or bevmo now who gets that shelf space um those are long-term relationships that have existed from those brands and those distributors or people that actually pay off the boots on the ground to that have the relationships with the retailers to get that shelf space so you end up with these um first of all not everybody that's making whiskey is making great whiskey but of the ones that are they're rock stars in 50 miles and and they're oh, on yeah. the shelf space in there but then they just die down and so we yeah. want to create a model where we can uplift, showcase, and highlight really these small distillers that are making the best whiskey in the country that you haven't been able to try and couldn't any other way. So not only do you get a chance to have a blind tasting, discover what you like, let your senses tell you what you like, but you get discovered. So once again, this is really about standing up for the little guy. Um, if you look at it, the parallel of what the business of amateurs was about. And if you like a bottle in the lineup, you can buy it. Um, for the same price if you were at the distillery. So we really don't make a lot or, or any sometimes from bottle sales because sure. we have fulfillment partners and we give shipping discounts. And and so, you know, we might get a bottle for 36 bucks and we're selling it for 50 and the shipping was really $7 more and our fulfillment right. partner gets 20%. And so all of a sudden, oh, we didn't make any money on that. Uh, but it's to, to me, it's like, yeah, the, the curation of the samples, the, the blind experience itself. Yeah. Uh, and, and really just 
access, being able to have access to these brands. I mean, if you just want to go get a bottle of Maker's Mark, get a bottle of Maker's Mark. Right. Um, but it, it wasn't easy to come up with this model. Um, my buddy was doing blind tastings during quarantine. And uh, I'd done it with wine before. I'd never done it with whiskey. And, you know, I, I called him up after the tasting. You know, I was a little bit inebriated. You know, God, I was pulling on my cheeks a little bit. And uh, I said, dude, this is a business. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, either this isn't legal, it's not possible, or maybe it's just complicated. And it turns out it was very complicated. Complicated, yeah. Um, so if you ever need an attorney, just so you know, you can do an hour-long consultation, usually with any attorney of any different trade. Yeah. Um, and so I did 16 of those with alcohol beverage control attorneys. Um, yeah. until I figured out how to do it. So the first seven were like, you can't do this. And I'm like, okay. So you got no's. They're like, this is illegal. They're like, you can't. I'm like, I'm going to pour whiskey in the bottles and send them out to people. They're like, you can't do any of that. And then I talked to one who was like, you know, this $900 hour attorney who represents like massive brands. And she was a partner in this law firm. She's like, well, you know what you could do? You could do this, but you can't do that. And I went, oh. So she kind of opened the door a little bit. Mm. And then I took that into the next meeting and the next one. Then we figured out a way to do it. Um, and so it took six, seven months to figure out how to do it, how to create our branding. Um, and, and this is all, you know, being a filmmaker and educator, this is all new, you know, creating custom packaging, creating, uh, custom bottles and caps and labels and brand, you know, all of that. Um, you know, the, the, the shipping box that the packaging then goes into, you know, all of these. Let's see it. We're recording video today, Bobby. Let's, let's take a look. So this is the box that we have. You see, we got this awesome gold leaf. You know, That's a really cool logo. Quarter, somebody gets a high-end box, and in each box is a tasting table, and you know our, our branding. You can kind of see the bottles that are in there, and yeah. each one of these samples, you know, is something that you wouldn't be able to get any other way. Amazing. And so once you go through the blind tasting, there's a QR code in the bottom, you know, right, and it then tells you everything about the brand, the backstory of the distillery, so cool. the mash bill, the makeup, the ABV, uh, if you want to buy a bottle of it. And, um, you know, we're really proud of this in general because we're Beautiful. Um, really kind of helping these, you know, since our first lineup in March, a lot of these brands have gotten a lot of recognition. Um, they've won some awards. They've got other bigger podcasts that are talking about them. We've got whiskey clubs in our group that are doing barrel picks with them. Uh, we were talking to somebody from our June box that I said, yeah, we had a bunch of clubs do barrel picks from a few brands in our first one. And he said, well, hey, if, if that happens with, with this lineup, um, you know, we're happy to give you a commission for all of those. And I said, no, we don't want a commission. That's not really not the um, model. why we're doing that. Like, no, we want to, we want this to be a good thing for everybody. We want everyone to win at the end of the day. We yeah. want our subscribers to win. Obviously, we want to win by having our subscribers stand our club and getting to access. That yeah. lineup will never happen again. So Yeah, it'll never be the same four bottles. It's It will never be exactly. So it's a one-off every single time. And I think what's really cool is because we can't have all this inventory we're sitting on, it's seasonal. So mid-March, mid-June, September, December, everybody gets everybody that's a subscriber gets that same box at the same time. So friends, family, coworkers that are in other states, other region, um, you know, we've had several subscribers that are like, I didn't even know my wife liked whiskey. And now it's just, we're doing this together uh, you know, every three months. Or a father and a son that are in different states and they commit to checking in. And that's what whiskey is really meant to be shared. Yeah. Um, you know, this is much more about tasting than it is drinking. There's a mindfulness component to it about yeah. being connected to 
color and the aromas and the taste and the, the finish and all the different little pieces along the way and connecting to the spirit. And, and, and look, we always say you're probably going to like all of them, but you might, you're, you're going to fall in love with one or two. Yeah. Um, and, and that are going to really, every single time people are like, wow, I didn't think I liked rye, but this was the best whiskey I've ever had. And I don't even like rye. That's so awesome. Like, How you do? <laughs> I can't wait to try it. I, um, how do you how do you create the partnerships with the different distilleries? I'm just because I know a couple people. I know somebody who runs a great distillery up here in the Catskills. Just curious. Yeah, to say which one? Yeah, Catskills Distillery. It's called. They're great. Okay. Yeah. No, I'd be super curious to you know if you want to make an introduction. So a Love lot to. of this is very organic. It's somebody we've had subscribers be like, you need to check this this place I out. That. We reach out. Um, you know, our distributor. Um, who basically we have a bottling partner passes through distributor to us. We have to hit all those different tiers, right? Yeah. And the reason we chose this particular distributor is they represent, you know, 600 independent brands. And they've, that. before we were even had a website and all we had was almost a logo and, and they believed in us from the beginning and were supportive. So um, we wanted to pay that loyalty back to them by having them play a role in our entire flow of our business. Um, and so we, we, we had a lot of introductions that way. Now we have a lot of distilleries reaching out to us, which is really cool. Sure. And we have a lot of subscribers saying, you got to check these guys out. And so we'll reach out. And so what will happen is I usually have an initial talk with them and just tell them kind of how the process works. And, 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 you know, I will, I will give you all the, the bits of the, how we kind of perform this whole thing legally. Um, and then, you know, and, and figure out a price point and then ultimately say, look, all right, send us some samples. Um, in some case we, we can source it or we might already have a sample and then we blind taste everything. So nobody can buy their way into our lineup. Um, mm. I have a couple of guys that, um, are real whiskey nerds. They're I call my whiskey wizards or, or spirits guides. Whiskey wizards. Uh, That's good. Yeah. They guide us through the process. And so, but they're great. They listen to everybody. Um, somebody that's in our June lineup, for instance, um, we did a blind tasting with a bunch of our investors and, and those guys and everyone's different level of experts, novices. Our CFO doesn't even, doesn't even like the whiskey really. He's not really a whiskey guy, but this one brand, he's like, this is so amazing. He's like, maybe I am a whiskey guy. He left and he went, and he bought four bottles of it that day. There and you go. so that had an influence. There was some sway there. Um, and it's great that we picked them because they're becoming really popular now. They're starting to expand and grow. And we're helping be a part of that type of zeitgeist and in, in that growth and ultimately helping marketing these brands. But if it doesn't pass the, the blind taste, then it doesn't yeah. end up on our lineup. And so that, that's what's difficult sometimes. You get these great distilleries, great people, but we don't like their whiskey. And we can yeah. Have to like, yeah, yeah, you got to stand by, stand behind anything you're putting in there. Last question around this before we start to wrap up is: um, Is it legal in every state? Can you ship to every state? No. So we have fulfillment partners that can get to certain states, but uh, we don't ship to Hawaii and Alaska because it's just cost Makes prohibitive. Sense. Yeah, you know, right. like absolutely. Start charging massive amounts for shipping, but it's like dealing with that is hard. Um, there's certain states like Kentucky, uh, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, because they have their own whiskey trails that it's, it, it's, it, they don't allow certain things to come into their state or Oregon. Yeah. You can only buy alcohol from a liquor store in that state. So mm. certain states, they, it's just not allowed. It's not yeah. possible. Yeah. Even if you have, a fulfillment partner that has all these grandfathered licenses can ship to certain places. Even if they're within that state, they, they can't do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so there's all these elements and can our distributor get to certain fulfillment partners that can get to those states. So we're in 42 states. Um, That's pretty so good. We're yeah. not in, 
yeah, we're not in Oregon, all those ones that I mentioned, and then like uh, Massachusetts and, um, you know, Pennsylvania. I think I mentioned those. I can never always like say them all in one soup. It's like uh, Hawaii, Oregon, Alaska, Kentucky, Tennessee, <laughs> Massachusetts. And then there's there's two more, Pennsylvania, and then there's one more I'm not thinking of. I just yeah. don't deal with thinking of whatever that other one is. Well, I just want to say this out loud because I'm we're looking at each other and recording this as video and we'll we'll post this, but the packaging is beautiful. Like really oh, the it's black and gold, the logo looks great. I and that is a great thing that shows up in somebody's doorstep if they're a whiskey fan. So congrats congratulations on launching this. This is a great pandemic great pandemic business. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, for me, it is important when you get a box, you want to feel special. And I've, yeah. I've been to subscriptions where they send me, you know, this corrugated box and some fatty in there, and it's okay. But not only do we want people to feel like, wow, this is really special, but we want them to associate these smaller brands with Top Shelf. So yeah. our bottles are really thick. Our caps have a metal finish on them. You know, the soft touch, the gold leaf, everything a part of that process that obviously is our brand, but we want people to associate this with uh, not only just the top shelf experience, but a really cool experience too. Yeah. You know, totally. there's something special about like, it. Like, hey, like, come on, o- hey, come on over tonight. I just, I'm getting my blind barrels shipped to me this week. Let's do a tasting together. Like that's, that's an exciting, that's an exciting experience. And, and look, there's enough whiskey in here that four or five people can share it. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm a big dude, so I'm gonna want my own box. Uh, you know, like <laughs> Bobby's uh, like, there's four or five normal people. For me, I like the box myself. Yeah, I'm gonna enjoy one box to the. And look, I have a one of my my best friend who's in the club. He still has half of his March box, and he's tried it f- three or four times now. He's, sure. he's making them last so he can go back and he can savor it. And then and then sometimes he really falls in love with something. And he drinks it all and then he buys a bottle of it. You know, Yeah, um, that's super cool. What a great idea, Bobby. Well, congratulations to you, your partners, your investors. I am have no doubt this will be, be a very successful business. I think it's much needed. I mean, this has obviously been going on for years in wine, but this is the first time I've heard of it in whiskey. And Thank you for investing all of the money into those different attorneys and keeping going too. What a lesson! I eat the well, those were seven all free notes. calls, Leslie. That was the beauty. Those were sixteen free one-hour consultations. Oh, with 16 and you finally attorneys. got it. And then you finally got it. Yeah, we can, you make it up. Then you're like, I, yeah, we're going exactly. with you. I was trying to figure out, and and yeah, there were like three that we liked, and then one was really kind of in our price range that ended up being our attorney and all that. And yeah, yeah. eventually our goal is to you know once we get. Um, you know, to a few thousand subscribers in whiskey, we're going to probably get into tequila and yep. then into beer and wine. So we we needed to crush it with whiskey first, just because it's so popular and there's so yeah. many different ways and mash bills that um we can we can really show within a lineup. But the tequila <clears throat> yeah, the, is crazy. I was just reading an article that tequila and mezcal are like the number two alcohol in the United. Like it, they're blown. Like tequila and mezcal are very become very popular. It's it's massive, yeah. And you know, it's interesting. All tequilas are mezcals, but not all mezcals are tequila. There you go. Um, I didn't know that process. Just like all bourbons are whiskey, and not all right. whiskey is bourbon, right? Yeah. Um, you know, bourbon has to be made with corn, fifty-one percent corn. It has to be in new white oak barrels, and it has to be American. It doesn't have to be in Kentucky. Um, but tequila, I mean, yeah, you have your reposados and añejos and extra añejos, and you have your blancas and you have your jovens, right? But now you get your cristalinos, right? And then mezcals, I mean, there's seven different categories. Not all mezcals are smoky, just like not all single malts are smoky, you right? Know? Um, so a lot of people think, well, I don't want something smoked. A lot of people use mezcals for cocktails, yeah. um, because that smokiness mixes really so well, good. um, with the citrus, right? So good. 
yeah. whatever it's doing. But yeah, eventually we want to get into that. We love the educational component of the culture of sure. culture in general. You know, on our site we have a master class on Nashville whiskey history um, tasting that's free for anybody um, that even isn't a subscriber. You can go onto our site and and learn about whiskey just because you want to learn about whiskey. You don't have to be in blind barrels just because we love the educational component, the culture of it that much. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Bobby, just uh, we're going to put URLs to the video. We'll put a URL to blind barrels. We'll throw your any contact information for you as a way anybody who's interested pop in there, pop into the show notes here and take a look and click on it. Go check it out. It's it's like seriously really beautiful. Like the, it just, I'm really impressed with the packaging and what you all have created over there. Oh, well, thank you. And and look, anybody that wants to jump on, use whiskey 10 at checkout and you will get, you can get 10% off anything. If you want to give a one-off gift as a box, you can get 10% off that. If you want to do the nice. quarterly, the annual, you know, we've got some really cool shirts and, and tasting glasses and we got a monkey hat. That's, that's just, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, that has been really popular. People have been ordering the monkey hat. Um, somebody just told me recently it's a chimpanzee, and I'm like, it's a monkey hat. Just let it go. Isn't uh, a chimpanzee? Is a chimpanzee not a monkey? I don't know. Like the, they're trying to be. They're trying to be smart. It's like like the <laughs> yeah the monkeys and the ape family and the chimpanzees. Like I don't know. Oh boy. I'm like, yeah, I got it. And I'm like, oh, no, it's it's a monkey for right now. Okay. Yeah. Like, that's awesome, Bobby. Well. As we wrap up here, I just want to tell you, I'm so glad we got a chance to connect, make this happen. So good to get to know you. Two last traditions. Uh, I want to ask you a question, then I want to give you a request. So the question is, Bobby, how do you see the world? Um, I see the world as an opportunity, you know, uh, to, to to learn and connect at the end of the day. You know, it, it goes back to that concept of Sonderful, this realization that we all have these intricate stories um, and, and trying to find out someone's story and what you can learn from it, kind of what, like basically what your show is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do set out to compliment a stranger every day if I can. Nice. Um, it's one of these, you know, we, we receive com- you know, compliments from our, our friends and our family and our loved ones. And, and sometimes it is lip service and you can tell when it's genuine or not. But if you give it to a stranger that day, if you just say, Hey, you got a great smile, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you just throw out a compliment like that, um, it can be a really bright moment in somebody's day and, a, and an unforgettable moment. And people have done that for me in my life. And that's where I was kind of inspired by that. Um, and I, and I can't say I honestly accomplished that every day, um, especially the COVID era where you can't even see people's smiles or yeah. you're not interacting as much. Um, but you know, everyone in Southern California can be very cold. And, um, so I try to offset that with a warm presence. And, and so I, I do see the world as an opportunity for learning and connecting. Yeah. Well, that I do have a second question for you. It's very timely. How do you feel about USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten? <laughs> you know, uh, everyone's like, "Oh, well, the Pac-12 and the history." I'm like, "Well, it used to be the Pac-8, and there was the Pac-10, now it's the Pac-12." And now the Big Ten is like the Big Eighteen or Nine. I don't can't even keep. I don't even know. I'm a. I mean, I I went. I'm a, I'm a Big Tenner, and it's gonna be I think it's 14 or 15 now without 20. UCL. But you, yeah, it's. Well, what's going to happen to the Big Ten and the Big Twelve when they both have twenty teams? Or there's, there's two Big Twenties, you know? Right? They're, they're going to rename gonna themselves the. That's why this SEC is smart, right? They're just the S, the Southeastern Conference, which means it could right. they could have a hundred teams or two teams. Anyway, it's we just get uh, extra large forty. Exactly. You know, we get the super double big go. There uh, you go. That 
I look at it, it's. I think it's an awesome, awesome opportunity. You know, everyone's just got to get their big boy pants on, and we're going to go play in the big house, and we're going to play in Ohio State, and it's a great excuse for me to, you know, it's a write-off for me because there's a there's an amazing whiskey trail in Ohio State. Um, you know, Middle West is in Columbus. I mean, I'm going to be going go. to all these places. I've always wanted to go to Michigan Stadium. Um, never been yeah. there. Ohio State Stadium. You know, there's yeah. a chance to get to play these teams. I've never, you know, there's certain – Places I've just never gone to, and I think it's a great way. You know, I've been to Notre Dame many times, right? Um, and and it's just going to make everything stronger. Obviously, there's going to be more money now uh, mm-hmm. and more opportunity in that. So that's why they're doing it um, yeah, because they get bigger TV deals by having bigger matchups. I think the thing I worry about is are they going to increase the number of games the way that they've slowly been doing? There used to be yeah. 10 games, and now we're dealing with like 13 games. And with the playoffs, you're dealing with 15 games, and you're really shortening – um, that the, these guys potentially their their ability to play uh, more years in the league by increasing yeah. the chance for injury. I mean, have you ever watched a game where they didn't cart one or two players off the field? Doesn't seem you like know? it happens or, often. Doesn't happen often. I mean, there's like a ten percent chance that somebody that you're going to get injured in a game. Yeah. Um, and I've been injured, so I know, I know that I've been that person. Uh, yeah. I've been carted off, but uh, yeah, there's all those different things. So I worry about that, about these guys maybe doing too many snaps and even shortening their lifespan by playing more games like that. So yeah. that's what I worry about. You know, football isn't going to go anywhere. Um, you know, one of the things about making the documentary that was difficult because I'm very proud of what I did as a college athlete and how did I really come to terms with challenging the institutions? Because the NCAA is the schools. It's a collective of yeah. the schools. It isn't this faceless you know, uh, you know, um, institution that makes all these decisions. Yeah. No, it's a consortium of the colleges that ultimately bend the will of what the NCAA actually does. And the way that I kind of reconciled with everything is this is, you know, I asked this rower, um, you know, she said, well, this is what we do with our friendships and our family and our loved ones. We push those relationships to be better. So, um, I love my school and I can love them and still push them to be better in the yeah. way that they operate. And I'm hoping yeah. that these steps forward and the more money um, hopefully creates more opportunities for athletes. And rather than, you know, um, you know, keeps them from <laughs> uh, other pains and other things that might be down the road. And I'm hoping that it creates more opportunity. Yeah. Well, again, thank you, Bobby, for being on last hey, tradition. Thank you. Last tradition. Leave us with some, Authentic Bobby DeMar's words of wisdom and keep it short and sweet should fit on a little Instagram post he got for us. Be present, you know, whether you're drinking whiskey, whether you're, you're watching your kids um, connect to the moment. Cause that's what we really have. All we have in, is the present moment and, and whatever you're doing, like in this podcast, when you're talking to somebody um, be connected, don't be thinking about the mistake that you just made. Don't be thinking about what's down the road. Be present in the moment that you have. It's an opportunity. I agree with that. <clears throat> and I would say if you're receiving a, a blind barrels box that evening, you may want to think a little bit about how you're going to enjoy that whiskey as it comes in. Yeah. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's where you can think about it. Thinking about the next one. It's like my grandpa used to talk about dinner or breakfast. He's like, what do we yeah. have for dinner? I'm like, you're eating your breakfast right yeah. now, dude. I used to do the same thing. <laughs> well, Bobby, it was great to have you on. So good to connect with you. And I'd love to have you back on again sometime soon. Hopefully you'll come back. Yeah, let's do a whole one about movies. We could talk easily uh, an hour about movies. All right. Take care, Bobby. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking to Cool People with Jason Frizzell. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and give us a shout out or take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. If something from today's episode piqued your interest and you'd like to connect, 
email us at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com. We love hearing from our listeners because you're cool people too.